0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. So I came across some literature that was talking
2: about computers. And from that time, I resolved that I was going to start computers.
1: That was Vivian. Milumbi, the Chief Operating Officer at the Zambia Building Society, talking about her start in IT. We have more coming up in our coverage of International Women's Day, where the African Union, today, marked International Women's Day here in Washington. And in other news, fighting continues in the eastern DRC. These stories and more on African News tonight... We start with our top story, the African Union Embassy in Washington, D.C., marked International Women's Day with a discussion on broadening digital access for women. I spoke with the organizer of the event, Educator from Rwanda, and expert on women's leadership, Dr. Joseph M. Musabai Maria Nelson.
3: At the center of this uh, conversation from the uh, incubation moment that uh, young professional women and men uh, came together to talk about, we wanted to draw the attention of Digital Gender Gap, drawing from the theme of the UN, this year as well as the theme of the African Union this year concerning Africa continental free trade area uh, whereby uh, most of the speakers today from the the ambassador of the African Union to the U.S. to the representatives from uh, the U.S. government everybody was looking at uh, how do we empower young people who are a very big population in as far as our workforce on the continent, in the diaspora, even around the world. So how can we bring uh, Internet connection? How can we make sure that everybody accesses Internet connection cheaply and effectively to continue to enhance their role in uh, developing our economies?
1: Let me ask you this: Why is it important to protect the rights of youth, women, and girls in digital spaces?
3: We really see that uh, the world has become a very small village. Whereby, if we don't protect our young people, we know we're losing a lot. I'll speak on the past as a as a mother myself. If I don't protect my daughter and my sons who are accessing uh, the digital world from their fingertips, from the classroom to their bedrooms, I think would uh, lose a lot. We know bullying. We know cyber crimes that hampering our economies and the social well-being of our, our children, especially women, because women, when they look, especially the young ones, the only thing that they see online and they are attracted to is the brushed pictures of uh, people, uh, even slimmed down to uh, to the bones. Uh, whereby their self esteem is lost because they think that that world of uh, brushed uh, pictures and videos is the way to go. So you find themselves going into depression, not loving themselves, not focusing on the education, on yeah. their livelihoods. So it's a lot to protect. So it's very important to protect women and especially young women.
1: Uh, and, uh, doctor, was the, the technology, to improve economic opportunities for women and girls in the diaspora. Was that topic raised today?
3: Yes, it was raised, as a matter of fact. Uh, amongst the activities of the day that we we have that are still going on, as a matter of fact, we even have young people's uh, videos that were taped from around uh, the diaspora in the world, as well as those on the continent who gave their views on the digital world and how it has affected them or benefited them. And many questions are being asked, so especially uh, the moment before I came uh, uh, to you right now, one of the young person from Lesotho was asking if I'm uh, correct with the country. She said that, uh, how, how, what are we doing as grown-ups to help them have uh, cheaper internet data and connections because they find that uh, the prices are very expensive for them to be able to access uh, the data?
1: On behalf of International Women's Day, that was today's African Union event organizer and expert on women's leadership, Dr. Joseph M. Musabai Maria Nelson. She spoke to me from the Embassy of the AU in Washington, D.C. African women face challenges in technology careers such as gender bias in the workplace, lack of mentors, and unequal growth opportunities at their workplace compared to men. Advocates for women say a concerted and deliberate policy is needed to attract more women into the industry. For VOA News, Kwangu Liwiwi reports from Washington.
4: Vivian Milumbe was born more than half a century ago in a Zambian village. From a humble beginning, Milumbe has emerged as a giant in the tech industry in Zambia, despite the challenges women in her country face.
2: I developed interest in computers uh, uh, as it was known then. A long time ago, I was quite young. I was in primary school and I was in the village So I came across some literature that was talking about computers and from that time I resolved that I was going to start computers. She's the
4: Chief Operating Officer at the Zambia Building Society and has experience in IT management, budgeting and business planning. But it's not just her academic qualifications that enhanced her career.
2: I'm a determined person. I'm one person who is aware that, uh, you know, hard work will breed success. So you... You agree with me that uh, technology is very dynamic, it's not very easy, and uh, there is demand for continuous personal development for it to stay afloat, and this calls for a lot of hard work. So I work very hard under the drive that I need to stay afloat.
4: In sub-Saharan Africa, women constitute only 30% of professionals in the tech industry. That percentage marches several estimates of worldwide female participation in tech careers, including in developed countries such as the United States. Sitrelo Dube is the chief executive officer of STEM Lady Holdings in Zimbabwe. She makes it a policy to accept girls in her training programs. 90% of the people apply are boys. Only 10% are girls. And whether they have a good... Um, reason to want to attend or not, because they are girls, I make sure they come. But with boys, it's competitive. If I want 50, I'll choose the top, top, top guys with the ideas. But for girls, I'll take any girl who applies. In neighboring Malawi, one of Africa's poorest nations, women typically are not included in the tech sector or equipped to participate in the digitized world. Wangira Kambuzi is the founder of Muzuzu Ehab. She says she found a way to elevate herself in the industry. I affiliate to so many networks um, that bring me a lot of opportunities and also um, a lot of learning, engagement, um, and even investment support that has been able to amplify the work that we do. Kenya's tech industry is booming as several big companies such as Google, Microsoft, and Visa have set up in Nairobi. That has given a boost to tech talent for both men and women. IT specialist Sharon Olende says Kenyan women are excelling in the industry because the country is more liberal in its outlook. So tech, because it's such a new, um, you know, a new space, um, it's very, it has opened a door for women that is, um, typically not there in the traditional um, um, sectors in this market. Agriculture, you'll have a lot of agriculture where you have small-scale women farmers, but when you look at the big, um, when you look at some of the big industry agriculture here, you don't see women. Um, You see them on the small-scale farmer side. Um, So it's left an open door because it's new and we don't have all that legacy um, masculinity. That's in other industries. This year's International Women's Day is emphasizing efforts worldwide to bring more women into the digital space, whether it's careers in information technology or access to online resources to build their businesses. For VOA News, I'm Kwanguliwewe in Washington.
1: Leading women's rights activist and a Nobel Peace Prize laureate are criticizing male-dominated governments for excluding women from peace negotiations. Sima Bahus, the head of the agency promoting gender equality, UN Women, told the Security Council this week that women should be included in all aspects of decision-making with consequences for non-compliance. According to the Associated Press, she said coups and conflicts have shrunk, civic space for women's organizations. Liberian activists and 2011 Nobel Peace Prize winner Laima Gabowi told the Security Council that the UN's resolution calling for women in peace and security efforts has either stalled or is slow. She called women custodians of their communities who should be part of all peace missions. Zambia's government has warned it will not tolerate the promotion of LGBTQ rights, calling them against the country's Christian values. The warning came after police arrested four activists from the feminist group Sista Sista Foundation for allegedly giving false information about a planned protest and for unlawful assembly. The group held an approved demonstration against gender-based violence Sunday ahead of International Women's Day, but authorities claim it was a front to promote homosexuality, which is illegal in Zambia. Cathy Short reports from Lusaka, Zambia.
5: Home Affairs and Internal Security Minister Jack Mwimbo told VOA Wednesday that his government does not promote LGBTQ rights and has made its stance known since it came into power almost two years ago. He condemned the march organized by the Sister Sister Foundation, saying it was against Zambian values and the law.
0: I wish to warn members of the public not to, not to allow and to flout the law deliberately by taking advantage of the prevailing environment
5: that allows for freedom of expression and assembly. And Zambia Police Deputy Spokesperson Dan Mwale told VOA the protesters did not follow the permit regulations which only allowed them to protest sexual and gender rights and not promote LGBTQ rights.
2: The suspects are in police custody and will appear in court soon. Investigations have intensified. Meanwhile, police have instituted investigations into the programs and activities of Sister Sister Foundation.
5: Sister Sister Foundation declined to comment but put out a statement on Twitter saying it is shocked that the match, which it says was meant to highlight sexual violence against women, has been turned into horrific waves of hatred in public discourse, especially online. The group said the four suspects were released on police bond Wednesday and will soon appear in court. Three suspects have been charged with. Giving false information to a public officer, and if convicted, could face up to seven years in jail. Group co founder Mwanga Monde has also been charged with unlawful an assembly, and if convicted, could face an additional jail term of six months. The statement further says that sexual violence against women and girls has been normalized, resulting in many people not paying attention to it. Recent police reports indicate that more than 20,000 cases of gender-based violence were reported in the last quarter of 2022 alone, most of them involving women and girls. The weekend match, attended by about 300 people, has sparked debate in Zambia, with most people accusing the sister-sister match of promoting LGBTQ rights and calling for the organization to be banned. Others said it's about time Zambians were allowed to discuss such issues so that they can decide the way forward. In a statement after the match, Chief Government Spokesperson Choshi Kasanda also condemned the event, which she says was aimed at promoting LGBTQ rights in Zambia. Same-sex sexual activity is prohibited under the country's penal code, which criminalizes acts of canon knowledge against the order of nature and gross indecency. The law, which dates back to the British colonial period, carries a maximum penalty of 14 years imprisonment. Kathy Short, for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia.
1: You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Two African women were among the winners of the 2023 International Women of Courage Award bestowed by the U.S. State Department. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and First Lady Jill Biden recognized 11 women from around the world who have demonstrated courage and leadership in advocating for peace, human rights, and the empowerment of women and girls. Among them were Professor Danielle Darlan of Central African Republic and Ma'aza Mohammed of Ethiopia. Darlan, who is the former president of Kars Constitutional Court, was recognized for her defense of her country's constitution, her defense of judicial independence, and her refusal to bend to political pressure during coups and years of civil conflict. Maza Mohammed is an Ethiopian journalist and founder of Roha TV, an independent YouTube-based news and information channel. Her reporting has included speaking with survivors of gender-based violence, including survivors in the conflict in Ethiopia's Tigray region. Since March 2007, the Department of State has recognized more than 180 women from more than 80 countries with the International Woman of Courage Award. There were reports of continued fighting in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo despite the announcement on March 3rd in Luanda of a new ceasefire accepted by the M23 rebellion. As the ceasefire was scheduled to take effect, clashes continued and both sides accused each other of launching attacks on their positions. For more on the situation in the eastern DRC, Douglas Puga reached reporter Jafar Al-Khattanti.
0: M23 announced to sign a ceasefire, but they don't respect it. So we can say it's hard because there is fighting in many different places. And yesterday, there was um, many civilian who was injured because of some rockets landed in a night camp in Sake, near an orphanage, and killed two orphans. So we can say the ceasefire is respected or even hard. This ceasefire is supposed to have taken effect on Tuesday. Who do you think, according to your sources, broke the ceasefire? Was it the M23 uh, fighters? It's complicated the two parties accusing each other. Yesterday, in the evening, the spokesperson of FRDC, which is the Congolese army, did a statement showing how M23 violated the ceasefire by attacking FRDC position in four different places. And today, I personally talked to the spokesperson of M23, who also accused FRDC and rebel groups, To attack their position in west of Sake. So, FRDC accused M23, M23 accused FRDC and local militia. But one thing is true is like M23 launched some rockets on the FRDC position, and some of those rockets landed in Sake. So, we can't be sure which part started hostilities, but one thing is true there is not ceasefire, fighting is still ongoing. What is the role of the South African forces? Is there the role they are playing in making sure that this ceasefire holds? Since they came, even locals don't understand what they came for. East African Community Regional Forces are doing anything uh, except maybe in diplomacy. But on field, nothing is done. And they are not even deployed in... The fighting zone. Burundians came uh, two days ago and they are based in Mubambiro, which is very close to the front line, but they're still not engaged in the fighting. So we maybe wait till uh, this week and we'll see what we will happen. But for now, uh, even MONUSCO or the East African Regional Force. No one is involved in the making the ceasefire respect. So at, right now, at the moment, what's the situation? Are there negotiations to make the ceasefire hold? All negotiations have been done to, to call for the ceasefire. And last week in Angola, the President Laurencio called M23 to respect, to sign a ceasefire at the end of the last week. And yesterday, on Tuesday, March 7, M23 did it, but they didn't respect. Today, I talked to the spokesperson of M23, as I told you. He also called the government of DRC to sign a ceasefire and to talk with M23. So the rebellion is still camping on its position. They want a direct talks with Kinshasa, not by pressing on another country or an intermediary.
1: That was reporter Jafar al He spoke with VOA's Douglas Impuga from Goma the members of Libya's high State Council vote, voted for a constitutional amendment intended to provide a basis for national elections but the votes validity has been disputed the high States council media office said the vote had passed and the amendment adopted on the other hand Abdullah batila the United Nations envoy to Libya told the UN Security Council he would launch an initiative aimed at enabling the organization and holding presidential and legislative elections in 2023. Wolfgang a former Austrian military attache in Libya, discussed the developments with VOA's Mohamed Al Shanawi.
6: The High Council of State is an unelected successor to the 2012 elected General National Congress, Libya's first interim parliament. It was enshrined as an advisory body to the House of Representatives, the parliament, in the 2015 Libya Political Agreement. It has 135 seats, so the quorum is 68 several high council of state members and also its chair, Al Mishri, confirmed that the quorum was reached, although they don't really agree about the concrete numbers. And probably more important, I did not see any further significant statements denying this. So I would say yes, the vote is validated. And this is a very important one, as it was about the confirmation of the so-called 13th amendments to Libya's 2011 constitutional declaration which is actually based on the negotiations between House of Representatives and High Council of State. This amendment is about Libya's system of government. It defines legislative competencies of the two chambers of the National Assembly, the House of Representatives and the Senate, and of the executive, headed by a directly elected president. Unfortunately, it does not decide about the criteria for the candidates for presidency, which is still an open key question. Now there should be an HR-HCS committee implemented to work on this within the framework of the election laws, so the work is far from done. Nevertheless, while these certainly important questions are still open, the approval of the 13th Amendment makes clear that there won't be a referendum on the faulty 2017 draft constitution as a precondition for elections, which is, I would say, a step forward.
1: Abdullah Batili, the UN envoy to Libya on Monday, told the UN Security Council he would launch an initiative aimed at enabling the organization and holding presidential and legislative elections in Libya in 2023. Mr. Batili cited that he was setting up a steering committee of major Libyan figures to adopt a time-bound roadmap to elections. How was this initiative received by Libyan rivals?
6: Not very well. Unfortunately, it seems to be it was not very well coordinated before, although Batigi had many talks with the people in Libya. It is based on a broad interpretation of Article 64 of the Libya Political Agreement, and many concrete questions about the composition and the tasks of this high-level steering pan- panel for Libya remain open. And also the key question, how should it get legitimacy for its decisions? So the House of Representatives rejected it right away claiming that the 13th Amendment is the way forward to elections. The High Council of State did not yet reject the initiative, but noted that the solution to the conflict is not in the hands of Badiyi, but in the hands of the Libyans. Its chair, Khalid al mishal said it might be possible to harmonize the Badiyi initiative with the 13th Amendment. Prime Minister Tabeba asked the UN to send election observers, and he asked the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to intensify the work with Ansimi to prepare elections. So he doesn't want to, uh, to be the spoiler in this game. The Grand Mufti, Sadiq al the very influential Grand Mufti, rejected Badi's initiative and the 13th Amendment altogether. He called on the people to take the streets and to take over the country. I don't think that this will happen anytime soon. His influence is limited. While other Islamists welcomed the initiatives, political parties praised the initiatives. But altogether, I would say, these are not good conditions for implementing the initiative. If Pati fails to push forward with his plan, he is politically probably
1: done. Wolfgang Poshtai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, talking to VOA's Mohamed El-Shinawi. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight on International Women's Day. I'm Yeheye Suhib in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Helen Cordian. thanks for choosing the Voice of America.